Matthew Henry comments on this chapter and the other remaining chapters. He says, The three remaining chapters contain a most tragical story of the wickedness of the men of Gibeah, patronized by the tribe of Benjamin, for which that tribe was severely chastised and almost entirely cut off by the rest of the tribes. This seems to have been done not long after the death of Joshua, for it was when there was no king, no judge in Israel, as verse 1 in chapter 21, verse 25, and Phinehas was then high priest, chapter 20, verse 28. These particular iniquities, the Danites' idolatry and the Benjamites' immorality, let in that general apostasy, said in Judges chapter 3, verse 7. Here now the reading of God's holy word, Judges 19, starting at verse 1. And it came to pass in those days, when there was no king in Israel, that there was a certain Levite sojourning on the side of Mount Ephraim, who took to him a concubine out of Bethlehem, Judah. And his concubine played the whore against him, and went away from him unto her father's house to Bethlehem, Judah, and was there four whole months. And her husband arose and went after her to speak friendly unto her and to bring her again, having his servant with him and a couple of asses. And she brought him into her father's house. And when the father of the damsel saw him, he rejoiced to meet him. And his father-in-law, the damsel's father, retained him. And he abode with him three days. So they did eat and drink and lodged there. And it came to pass on the fourth day, when they arose early in the morning, that he rose up to depart. And the damsel's father said unto his son-in-law, Comfort thine heart with a morsel of bread, and afterward go your way. And they sat down and did eat and drink, both of them together. For the damsel's father had said unto the man, Be content, I pray thee, and tarry all night, and let thine heart be merry. And when the man rose up to depart, his father-in-law urged him. Therefore he lodged there again. And he rose early in the morning on the fifth day to depart. And the damsel's father said, Comfort thine heart, I pray thee. And they tarried until, the, until afternoon, and they did eat both of them. And when the man rose up to depart, he and his concubine and his servant, his father-in-law, the damsel's father, said unto him, Behold, now the day draweth toward evening. I pray you, tarry all night. Behold, the day groweth to an end. Lodge here, that thine heart may be merry. And tomorrow get you early on your way, that thou mayest go home. But the man would not tarry that night. But he rose up and departed, and came over against Jebus, which is Jerusalem. And there were with him two asses saddled, his concubine also was with him. And when they were by Jebus, the day was far spent. And the servant said unto his master, Come, I pray thee, and let us turn in into this city of the Jebusites, and lodge in it. And his master said unto him, we will not turn aside hither into the city of a stranger that is not of the children of Israel. We will pass over to Gibeah. And he said unto his servant, Come 
and let us draw near to one of these places to lodge all night in Gibeah or in Ramah. And they passed on and went their way. And the sun went down upon them when they were by Gibeah, which belongeth to Benjamin. And they turned aside thither to go in and to lodge in Gibeah. And when he went in, he sat him down in a street of the city, for there was no man that took them into his house to lodging. And behold, there came an old man from his work out of the field at even, which was also of Mount Ephraim, and he sojourned in Gibeah. But the men of the place were Benjamites. And when he had lifted up his eyes, he saw a wayfaring man in the street of the city. And the old man said, Whither goest thou, and whence comest thou? And he said unto him, We are passing from Bethlehem, Judah, toward the side of Mount Ephraim, from thence am I. And I went to Bethlehem, Judah, but I am now going to the house of the Lord, and there is no man that receiveth me to house. Yet there is both straw and provender for our asses, and there is bread and wine also for me, and for thy handmaid, and for the young man which is with thy servants. There is no want of anything. And the old man said, Peace be with thee. Howsoever, let all thy wants lie upon me, only lodge not in the street. So he brought him into his house, and gave provender unto the asses, and they washed their feet, and did eat and drink. Now as they were making their hearts merry, behold, the men of the city, certain sons of Belial, beset the house round about, and beat at the door, and spake to the master of the house, the old man, saying, Bring forth the man that came into thine house, that we may know him. And the man, the master of the house, went out unto them, and said unto them, Nay, my brethren, nay, I pray you, do not so wickedly. Seeing that this man is come into mine house, do not this folly. Behold, here is my daughter, a maiden, and his concubine. Them I will bring out now, and humble ye them, and do with them what seemeth good unto you. But unto this man do not so vile a thing. But the men would not hearken to him. So the man took his concubine and brought her forth unto them, and they knew her and abused her all the night until the morning. And when the day began to spring, they let her go. Then came the woman in the dawning of the day and fell down at the door of the man's house where her Lord was till it was light. And her Lord rose up in the morning and opened the doors of the house and went out to go his way. And behold, the woman, his concubine, was fallen down at the door of the house and her hands were upon the threshold. And he said unto her, Up, and let us be going. But none answered. Then the man took her up upon an ass, and the man rose up and got him unto his place. And when he was come into his house, he took a knife and laid hold on his concubine and divided her together with her bones into twelve pieces and sent her into all the coasts of Israel. And it was so that all that saw it said, 
There was no such deed done nor seen from the day that the children of Israel came up out of the land of Egypt unto this day. Consider it, consider of it, take advice and speak your minds. Thus far the reading of God's holy word from Judges chapter 19. May the Lord bless us in the reading and hearing of it. Such a passage would very likely not be written by men, but this is the word of Almighty God describing for us in stark contrast with God's holiness, the wickedness of ourselves and of all men, if left to ourselves. Verses 1 through 9, we have the Levite, his adulterous concubine, and his reconciliation to her. Notice again. No king in Israel, everyone doing what is right in their own eyes, not in God's eyes, in their own. The Levite took him a concubine out of Bethlehem, Judah, we are told. Now, if you'll recall from the book of Leviticus, a Levite could not marry any who was not of his own tribe. So if he wanted to have a woman who was not a Levite, what could he do? He could make her a concubine, not really a wife, not really a slave, somewhere between the two. This is a form of godliness. What he should have done is just waited for a Levitical woman and married her, not taken a concubine from another tribe. He has a form of godliness. He covers his lawlessness with partial obedience. He redefines the terms to please himself. That's what a concubine is. It's a sort of a wife, not really a wife. It's to please men, not to please God. And usually they would not be endowed. There was no skin in the game on the husband's part. They wouldn't have to put up any money for her, for example. They could be irresponsible. And notice she is irresponsible too and wicked. His concubine played the whore against him, verse 2 tells us. Again, the Bible is very honest. Then after she had played the whore, she goes back to daddy. She goes back to her her father's house. She's juvenile, childish, lawless, covenant breaker, and a hypocrite. And this is the sort of situation we find ourselves in in Israel and even in our day as well. And I note here then the Bible gives us sins on both sides of marriage or even semi-marital relations as this was. There are men who sin and there are sins of men that tend to characterize them in marriage and in male-female relations. And there are sins of women. We see both in this passage. And we'll see more of them. Now note verse 3. Her husband arose and he went after her to speak friendly unto her and to bring her again. It is lawful in the Bible. If a person has been wronged by their spouse... It is lawful to forgive and to seek for reconciliation. It is lawful for him to do what he's doing, in other words. In verses 3 through 8, we have the Levite's father-in-law retaining him with fleshly indulgence, keeping him from his duties with pleasures. And the Levite has no sufficient strength to stop this cycle. He's trapped in it. He can't get out. He's not able to overcome his father-in-law with a sense of his own duty. So finally, he says in verse 9, Behold, now the day draweth toward evening. I pray you, says his father-in-law, stay. Don't go. Now you want to leave, but I need you to stay some more because it's getting late. 
So notice he's made some bad decisions. He hasn't been able to overcome his father-in-law. And now his father-in-law says, you need to stay again. And he realizes, no, I can't stay or I'll keep on staying. I need to go. So he makes the decision that he's going to leave. Let us be cautious not to indulge our sensual desires, our desires for meat and drink or for other pleasures of the body. Do you know what happens when you give way to your sensual or your emotional desires? Do you think they're satisfied if you feed them? No, they grow bigger. That's what they do. You have to starve them. You have to kill them. Or they get bigger and stronger. They get more headstrong. And before you know it, you can't control them. That's what happens here. One sin leads to another. As often is the case, drunkenness leads to fornication, idolatry, to theft, as we saw previously. Sabbath breaking leads to atheism. Then verses 10 through 21, we have the Levites travel to Gibeah, his neglect by the men of Gibeah, and an Ephraimite who hosts him there. Now, verse 10 tells us that the son-in-law, the Levite, would not tarry that night. He won't do what his father-in-law says. Now, he's made many poor decisions leading up to this point, and now he's going to make a good decision, sort of. But it's too late. He had his opportunity to stop his indulgence before, and he didn't do it. Now he has to break. Now he has to go, and he leaves at night, or as it goes toward night. Now his servant says to him in verse 11, come I pray thee and let us turn in unto this city. And will he listen to his servant? Does he listen to this reasonable request? No, he will not. And it will be the death of his concubine. It will be the dishonor of his concubine. One bad decision leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. You see how this works? This is the black chain of reprobation. This is the downward spiral. That's what God is illustrating for us here. He will not listen to his servant. Notice verse 12. He says, well, we will not turn aside hither into the city of a stranger that is not of the children of Israel. You see that? He has confidence in the children of Israel. Is his confidence well-grounded? No. Would the Jebusites have done anything like what the men of Gibeah did? Who knows? But we know the men of Gibeah did. His confidence in his brethren, in his race, in his nation was not well-grounded. And this is what happens. When you make poor decisions, you make more poor decisions and more poor decisions until your eyes are blinded and you cannot see reality right in front of you. That's what's happening. His prejudice becomes his ruin. We will pass over to Gibeah, he says, as we say famous last words his false hopes in the creatures, his own race and people, they will prove to be his undoing. He travels on, verses 13 through 15, with his concubine and his servant, and they stay in Gibeah of Benjamin. Another foolish decision, he sat down in the street of the city, advertising that he is lost, that he has no friends, And he has two people there with him. They're defenseless. 
What can he do? He's advertised that to the whole city by sitting down in the streets of the city. Now, sometimes we tend to think this. Why are all these bad things happening to me? Why are things getting so bad? He could say this to himself after the events that transpire this evening in the night that he sits down in the street. But did you notice all the decisions that went before? Did he marry as God required a Levite in his law? No. He married a concubine from another tribe forbidden of him. Then what? Well, then she plays the whore. Then she goes back to her father. Then he goes to retrieve her, perhaps his only good decision in the passage. And what happens is he indulges himself and he doesn't have the moral character to say, no, I'm through with this. I have duties. I must go to the temple. I'm leaving. Does he do that? No. He's snared day after day after day, worse and worse and worse until finally he says, I've had enough. I have to leave but you shouldn't go at night. Well, I'm going anyways, you see? Bad decision after bad decision, and these bad decisions don't stand alone. And the worst decisions we make are the end of a series of poor decisions. It's not like it just zap, how'd this happen? I have no idea. No, it's because we're foolish. And little by little, we slowly turn our back from the right way to go in a way of death. And that's what he does. Let us consider our ways. Let us be wise in our decisions. Let us devote our path to God's keeping under God's protection in accordance with God's commandments. Those all go together. Remember the men of Dan, they thought God was going to bless them and protect them and be with them, regardless of whether they listened to what he had to say. No, that doesn't matter. God will bless us in all of our ways. No, he won't. He might curse us by giving us what we want, as he did with the Danites. So this man's decisions are a warning to us. Let us not be like him. Let us not make a series of foolish decisions and then wonder, how did all this bad stuff happen to me? Well, we made poor decisions. And so he does. Now notice here in verse 18, the Levite says he's going to the house of the Lord. He was going to Shiloh. He was going to fulfill his responsibilities in the tabernacle in the worship of Almighty God. He says to the man who offers him a place that he has no want of anything. There's no lack to me, he says. He has no sense then of the grave danger he's in. No sense of the danger to his concubine or to his servant. He is secured. He's unprepared for what's coming. And this is usually what happens when we make poor decisions. Things, all these bad things just seem to be looming over our heads and we can't even see it. And so here, I have no want of anything. I'm fine. I don't need your help. I'm good here. Everything's okay with us. We have provender. We have a place to stay. But he was not secure. He was not in a good place. Let us be wise. Let us understand the times and circumstances in which we live. Let us be equipped and prepared for what may come next. Remember the wise man, what does he see? He seeth the evil and he hideth himself. 
What does the fool do? The fool goes on and he suffers for it because he won't make due preparation. This Levite is such a fool. The man, the sojourner, says, Let all thy wants lie upon me, only lodge not in the streets. This reminds us of Lot, doesn't it? Remember when the angels came to Sodom, he told them, Don't lodge in the street. Let all thy wants fall upon me. I will provide for you. Come in, I'll wash your feet, as happens here. Verses 22 through 30, we have the Sodomites prepared to abuse the Levite and their pacification by abusing his concubine and the spreading of this deed to all Israel. Note here, verse 22. As they were making their hearts merry. Now we know the end of the story, don't we? But they didn't. Were they watchful? Were they vigilant? Were they ready for what was next? No, they're getting drunk. They're having a good time. Hosea 4.11 says that whoredom and wine and new wine take away the heart. Peter will command us to be sober and vigilant because our adversary, the devil, what does he do? He's just going to let us be? He's just going to leave us to ourselves? You profess to be a believer? You think he's just going to leave you alone? He wants to eat you up. He wants to devour you and destroy you. And here they are making their hearts merry. And here come the sons of the devil, the sons of Belial. They beset the house round about. The Westminster annotations say of these sons of Belial, this is notoriously and desperately wicked, stigmatized villains, and even incarnate devils, who without yoke, as the word signifieth, will not submit to be governed by religion or reason, by the principles of nature, or by the laws of God or men, like unto the devil himself, who is also called by this name, 2 Corinthians 6.15. The devil is called Belial. We can have no fellowship with God and Belial, light and darkness. They are the sons of the devil. They say, bring forth the man that came into thine house that we may know him. As the Sodomites said to Lot when the angels came, we want to know them. We want to sodomize them, in other words. Now the offer is made by the host, the man of Ephraim, that they may have his daughter or the Levite's concubine and that they may do with them what seemeth good. Now remember, this is what Israel's been doing, isn't it? Every man doing what is good in his own eyes. And we say to ourselves, but I would never do that. Oh, really? What if God gave you over to the desire of your own eyes and whatever you thought was right, he let you do it? You think you wouldn't do this? You think I wouldn't do this? No. If God gives us over to these things, we will do the same thing. They did what was right in their own eyes and the man from Ephraim offers them to do what seems good unto them. This foolish decision, again, was precipitated by their prior foolish decisions, wasn't it? Their drunkenness, their unpreparedness. They weren't vigilant. They weren't watchful. And they abuse the concubine once she's given all night until the morning. Now, when the Bible uses the word abuse, 
It actually means abuse. In our day, people use the word abuse to mean you're not nice to me. You don't say nice words, you say hurty words. You don't do everything the way that I think you should or you yell at me or something. The biblical term abuse is very stark. It is a crime with physical misuse of a person's body, in this case with rape and aggravated assault, which leads to her death. That's actual abuse, real abuse, not emotional or psychological, but rather the misuse, the oppression, the ruthless oppression of this woman by rape, misuse, and wantonness, as the word in Hebrew means. I note then that the devil's way is lawless, it is cruel, it is tyrannical. The devil promises men freedom, but what does he make them? The slaves of iniquity. We'll see this in 2 Peter 2. These men are bond slaves to their sin. Let us then beware of the folly of the devil's promises. You know, Belial, the sons of Belial, Bel is your Lord, your master. It's a yoke that you wear. Sons of Belial say, I will have no yoke. I will have none to rule over me. No one's going to tell me what to do. I will do what is right in my own eyes. And so they do. This is the devil's way. Let us beware of it. And when the day began to spring, they let her go. Well, that's at least some shame, isn't it? Now that the sun has risen upon them, their works of darkness, at least they won't do them then. Some people are so shameless, they'll do things like this in the light, but at least they won't. The Levite comes forth with her at the threshold and very callously and perversely and very self-servingly says, up, let us be going. What had he just done the night before? He offered her up to be abused by these sodomites, to be used until she's dead there on the threshold and all he can say is, time to get up, let's go, time to move. No sense of his own evil in the matter, of his own lawlessness and wickedness. And even more so, he divides her body into 12 pieces with the bones and sends it, her corpse that is, in 12 parts to all the tribes of Israel. Again, callous and self-serving, but at least he sounds the alarm. Look what's happened here in one of our cities. And we'll see the results, God willing, and the chapters to follow. And thus far, the exposition of Judges, chapter 19.